we are in 2 Corinthians still. We're going to finish chapter 12 today. And then we have one more chapter before we get into Galatians. And I am so excited to get into Galatians that I almost just want to like jump over this last part of 2 Corinthians. Even this is good too, but I just have to admit to you that I'm pretty excited for Galatians. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. No, chapter 12, verses 11 through 21. Uh, I'll read those now. So 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 11. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am a nobody... The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they had practiced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this text. We thank you that you have designed who is here today, and you have designed who is not here today. I pray that as we prayed this morning, we've already prayed for everybody here, but I pray for them again that you would teach them, you would love them, you'd shower your blessings on them, you'd give them your spirit to understand this text, help us to grow in love and knowledge and joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the ending of this chapter, I have the title page twice here, that's confusing. Again, Paul talks about becoming foolish in verse 11, and we hopefully by now know what he means by that. He's talking about having to defend himself to the Corinthians, and that feels foolish to him. But they compelled him. He had to because it was for their faith. It was for the gospel. They were doubting everything he had taught, so he had to defend himself. He didn't want to. And then he says here in verse 11, I should have been commended by you. In other words, you should have known I was an apostle. I shouldn't have had to do any of this. There shouldn't have been any doubt in your mind. You know me. And then verse 12, the signs of a true apostle. Paul performed these among them, and he says, by signs and wonders and miracles. So the first thing on the page was, Paul considers it foolish 
that he has to defend himself to the Corinthians. So the next thing we're looking at is how were true apostles known? So this was something that was unique about original apostles that we don't have today. They walked with Jesus in person. They were commissioned by him to lay the foundation in the early church. They had all authority in the church. They could come into any church and say, you have it wrong. This is the way that it is. And they had to be obeyed and believed without question because they were the apostles. And because of that authority, God gave them an extraordinary amount of ability in terms of miracles and signs and wonders because they had to be able to prove they were the real thing. So if some false prophet came by and said, I'm an apostle, and this is what Jesus said, but he didn't have the power. They could say, I'm not going to follow you. So God gave the apostles. So Paul says here, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. True apostles could be known by signs and wonders. And we don't have those kinds of apostles anymore. But we do have people today that you could call apostolic in the sense that the word means sent. So any missionary is apostolic. Any church planter is apostolic. They're, they're sent. They're planting. They're reaching new people. But they're not an apostle in terms of the office. They don't have that kind of authority. So that's why we avoid the word in English because we don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that we're saying, believe me without question. That's, no one has that right anymore. But Paul was one of these apostles. And he had the miracles to prove it. So the true apostles could be known by signs and wonders. And then in verse 13, For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong, he says. By not being a burden, what he's talking about here is receiving payment from them. We've discussed this in the past, that he felt that it would burden this particular church. He did get payment from other churches. In fact, he got funding from other churches to be in Corinth. Other churches helped pay the way for him to be there, but he felt that with their particular situation, that it would be a burden to them to ask them for money, and so he didn't. And now here he says, was that a problem? Did I, was I, you know, the fact that I wasn't a burden? Forgive me this wrong. He says, is that why you treat me inferior? Is that why you allow people to question me and you're confused about me because I didn't get money from you? Forgive me this wrong. So it's like they're saying to him, Paul, you don't let us give you money. You're a suspect. You're sus. That's kind of what the church was saying. Paul's like, that's not, that's not right. And then verse 14, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And again, I will not be a burden to you. Again, when I come, I'm not going to ask for your money. I don't seek what's yours, but you, which I love. And we'll get back to that in a second. But first, here for this third time. So this is how we... We have to piece together Paul's story here because it's not written in Acts. But we know Paul went at least once to Corinth. That's in Acts, Acts 18. He spent a year and a half there. We have the letter of 1 Corinthians. Then we have this letter. But he says here, I don't want to come to you a third time. And he also says in chapter 2 of this book that he had made a sorrowful visit to them. The first visit wasn't sorrowful. So here's how you kind of piece it together. Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. He left wrote them this letter, he came back, and there was a sorrowful visit, which he talks about in chapter 2. He also wrote them this severe letter with tears, chapter 2. But now he's coming again for a third time. So that's kind of how we piece it together. 
And if you're filling up the sheet, just to make sure you all have it, the first one was Paul considers it foolish that he has to defend himself to the Corinthians. And the second one was true apostles could be known by signs and wonders. So, anyway. All right. And now he plans to come to them again. And he doesn't want to be a burden to them. doesn't want to give, have, make them give him money. He wants to come again free of charge. And that's how he had come before. Now, you might remember in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul had spoken about how he and Barnabas, as apostles, had every right to demand money from the church. They had planted the church. They had lived there for a year and a half. And the whole time they worked and provided for themselves. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, don't we have the right to get paid for this work? But then he says, but we did not ask this of you because he didn't want it to be a burden to them. He wanted, hey, welcome. (laughs) He wanted to offer the gospel free of charge. And so again, he's saying, I'm coming to you, but not because I want you to pay me. I'm coming for free. I'm going to preach to you for free. You're not going to give me anything. And again, in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So most gladly spent and be spent for your souls. And he asked the question, should I be loved less than this? Remember all those false accusers in the church that were challenging Paul for all sorts of weird reasons. Like today, you would accuse a pastor for asking too much for money. You'd get suspect, you know, like, why is that guy driving around, you know, wearing a gold watch and driving this? Why is he asking for money? That would make you question him. Here Paul comes for free, preaching for free, and they're like, hmm, that's weird. That's suspect. You can't win with some people. And Paul says, I will spend for, I will give money to you. I'll spend for you. And he sees them like his children. He's like, I should be paying for you as my children, not you paying for me in the next verse. So Paul doesn't want to receive. He wants to give. That's the next thing on that worksheet. Paul is not interested in just being a receiver. He's interested in being a giver. He's not coming to these churches so they'll give him stuff. He's coming to give to them. And he says, is that going to cause you to question me? Now, I could ask the question, does that put me at risk here? Because I offer this for free. I work my, and I pay my own way. And you all know that, that I'm not doing this for a career. I'm not trying to make money off of this. I don't mind working. But does that somehow make you think that perhaps he's not a real pastor because he's not paid for it? Perhaps it's not a real church because they meet in the home right now. By, by trying to be less of a burden... Does that make this church seem less real or less authentic? So I don't want to belabor the point, but this is a real church. I am a real pastor. It does have a real purpose. There's a real version, a a real vision for this. But I'm going to work, and that's okay. And for Paul, that was okay. He preferred to be less of a burden to the church. It's not wrong for pastors to get paid by a church. And it's definitely not wrong for members of a church to give money to their church because every church has expenses. We have expenses now, although they're low, ink, paper, whatever, right? Not not a big deal. 
But if we move into a building, we've got rent to pay. There are expenses. And if this is your church, you should be giving towards that, even if it's like a couple dollars. It doesn't matter. Like, God would want you to do that. I don't believe in like a 10% thing, personally. You might. I, I don't see that in the New Testament. What I see in the New Testament is offerings gladly, not the requirement of a strict tithe. So there's always needs, and even if, even if there's churches where pastors aren't getting paid, the church may still have needs. And so there's, there's three T's I want you to remember. There's three ways you can give to your church. Time, talent, or treasure. You may have heard that phrase. I like it a lot because sometimes you think it's only about giving money and then sitting back in your seat and just, you know, that's it. You come on Sunday, you put some whatever in the plate, that's it. No, but you can give of time, meaning you can help out in some way. You can give of talent, whether your talent is prayer, or your talent is prophecy, or your talent is encouragement, or your talent is music. Whatever it is, you can give back in those things. Or your treasure, you can give back financially if you'd like. There's ways you can give. And Paul would never tell this church, don't give money to your church, but he's just saying, don't give it to me. I don't want to get paid for what I'm doing. That's what, that's what Paul's point is. Okay, verse 16, Paul says, Be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. He's, those are quotes. He's, he's quoting their accusation. So some thought that because he would send letters with other people, that he was kind of like sneaking his way in to trick them and maybe get, you know, like, Paul's not receiving money, but he's giving money to somebody else to give to Paul, that kind of thing. So he says, but that didn't happen, verse 17. I didn't take advantage of you, did I? Even when Titus came, verse 18, and when I sent that brother with him, they didn't, they didn't take advantage of you, did, did they? He's like, this isn't, hasn't happened. All these false accusations about deceit and all that, that, none of that happened. And then in verse 19, all this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it's in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ. And so what he means by that is, I'm defending myself for sure, but it's not like I'm defending myself to you and you're in the judgment seat to determine whether I'm qualified, whether I'm an apostle. This whole time, you've been thinking that I have to defend myself to you to give in to you. In reality, it's in the sight of God that I've been speaking in Christ. It's God that I have to answer to. He's the one on the throne. He's on the judgment seat. I'm answering to him, and I'm saying this in his sight that I am an apostle. And then in verse 20, we see again why many have called this book the most personal letter that Paul ever wrote. Because he, he, he opens up about his fears. He's like, I'm afraid that maybe when I come, I'm going to find you to be not what I wished, or that I'll be what you don't think that I should be, and perhaps there's going to be strife and jealousy. And he's like, I'm afraid of these things. Paul's always completely open and honest about these fears. And even though Titus had reported that um, the church wanted to be restored to Paul, and he was happy about that, and they had repented of their sin, and Paul was excited. Even so, he still has this fear. So despite all the prayers, all the visits, all the letters, he's afraid they might still end up, he shows up, and they're still caught up in all these crazy divisions that they were at before. So what he wants to do is come and visit this church and encourage them. He doesn't want their money. He doesn't want to spend time having to correct them. He wants to come to them and love them and encourage them. But I want to focus again on verse 14 and verse 15, and we'll close with this. When Paul says, I don't seek what's yours, but you. And then he says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. 
what I was thinking about with these phrases is that that's really nice for an apostle to say that, you know, and that's really nice for a pastor to say that. But in reality, everything that your leaders in your church are doing should be reproduced in you so that when you see this, this is a, a model for you to also think about. So, for example, there are many important things that make up a healthy church. When thinking about what church to be part of, there are many things you should consider. But one of the things is love. Because the greatest commandment is what? Love God and love others. So if you're in a church and they don't seem to love God at all, and they don't seem to love each other at all, not the right church for you, right? You walk in and no one seems to care that they're even there. They don't talk to each other. And they kind of go through the motions and they go home. Not the church for you. But if you see a church that they love God and they love each other, that's, that's one good reason to be part of a church. But also that should be emulated in every one of us, not just from the whole church. Like That should also come from that perspective and not just the leaders, but to you. Because I mean, you want to have pastors and leaders that aren't taking advantage of you, that aren't taking what's yours, but are instead wanting you, not what's yours, right? You want to know that the leaders actually want to know you, not just the things that are yours. They, that they should be sacrificial. They should be giving of themselves to others. And that should also be repeated in you and, and those in the church. So it's not just from the leadership perspective we see this, but as a church, we should think of one another as, I don't want what's yours but you. I'm not here because you can give me something. I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I could help you maybe. And I want to find a place where I could learn how to grow in my faith. And I could learn how to actually give something of myself to somebody else. So when Paul says, I do not seek what is yours but you, that is something that I want our church to be known for. That's something that I want to be known for. And it's something I want you to be known for. And when he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls, again, that's what I want the church to be known for. That's what I want to be known for. And it's also what I want you to be known for. People who gladly will spend and be spent for the sake of other people. And so you might ask yourself this week, what can I do sacrificially for somebody else that I know? How can I show God's love to somebody this week? What can I do? It can be the smallest thing. I heard a story yesterday. It was so funny. There was a guy who his job was Aiden's job at church. His job was putting up the sign. And Aiden does more than that, but that's one of the things that Aiden does is puts the sign out. This guy's job was putting the sign out for church. And it had been like seven months or so. And one Sunday he gets out and he's like, puts it in the ground. What am I doing? It doesn't even matter anymore. And the pastor heard him say this. And then the next Sunday, a lady came into the church with a note for like a prayer card thing and said, um, I want you to thank the guy who put the sign out because I wouldn't have known this church was even here without the sign, and I didn't know where to go, and I came, and this is the church for me. This is the place for me. I was really looking for help. And so it's like at the right time when God gets you to where you're frustrated with how long you've been serving without seeing results, you get that one person who's like, that thing you did mattered for me. And so don't think anything is too small. You might have the smallest idea of something you could do. Maybe it's like, I'm going to make sure I say, uh, say hi to that one grumpy neighbor and make eye contact and just so they know that I see them. Or it could be anything. Or maybe it's just I'm going to pray for somebody this week. Whatever it is, what could you do sacrificially this week to spend and be spent for somebody else? 
I don't want to make assumptions that everybody here is at that place spiritually. Maybe you're not even sure if you know God or have a relationship with God, but you totally should. It's the best thing you can ever do. Paul said that he considered everything in life worthless. The word is more like cow dung compared to the value he found of, of knowing God. And that's why our church, our vision statement, right? It's, it's all about knowing God. It's everything. So if you want more information about that, ask me about it. And otherwise, think this week about how you can spend and be spent for someone else to bless them.